0: got a friend in us. This is episode 51, Hologram for a King, from 2016. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey
1: Lewandowski. And Mike, with us today, we have a guest a long-time long time, first time? No, long time, second time. We were just talking about it. I, I thought I had a metaphor in my brain. I don't have a metaphor in my brain. <laughs> back after a long hiatus, the co-host of the oft-mentioned Monkey Club podcast, we have Christian Larson. Hello, Larson.
2: Hi, guys. It's good to be back. It's been uh, way too long since we've talked.
1: It's been a while. And now here you are to talk about Tom Hanks's first movie that's straight to VOD. Wow, how things have changed in four years. Now, everything's VOD. Not even pandemic-related, but it just seems like everything is just, it's normal. But this was a big deal at the time because this was Tom Hanks' first that didn't go to theater. So you were here for a momentous occasion of sorts in the Hanks filmography.
2: I guess so. I mean, if it was a big deal at the time, I missed it.
1: I don't think it was, I think it was a big deal in how small of a deal it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah
0: and I also think that it was Hanks was a big deal, because people had been, you know, used to Cage going straight to video for a while at that point, and even, uh, like, Travolta had gotten into the game, and, like, other
1: sort of more marquee names. You mentioned Cage, this actually, this is a nice parallel. I think Larson was also our guest on our first, maybe, arguably, probably first Cage to VOD seeking justice, The Hungry Rabbit Jumps, that he did not like, but you and I really liked. We have Dan Hayden as our resident year 2000 expert. We have Larson, I guess, as our first straight to VOD expert.
2: I bring this up a lot when we chat, but when when I signed up to do Cage Club, I wanted to do an older movie that was kind of obscure. I wanted to do a Stone Cold classic, and I wanted to do a newer movie that really didn't get a lot of respect. And for Cage, that newer movie turned out to be uh, Seeking Justice.
1: It was Birdie and The Rock and Seeking Justice, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I did some old Hanks classics on here because I knew that there was a kind of latter-day phase of his career where he did do some pretty uh, under-the-radar stuff. I think this is kind of as under-the-radar as it gets.
1: So now, had either of you seen this movie before? No, I had not. This is my very first time. And Larson?
2: I knew nothing about it, and and I kind of wanted it that way. I wanted to go into this knowing absolutely nothing.
1: I had seen this. This was in the time where, you know, the last handful of years I've watched many, many, many movies that like new releases. And I don't remember how I heard of it, but I heard of it. So this is now the second time that I've seen it. But, Mike, I'm assuming people out there are probably more like you two than me in that they don't know what this is about. They have not seen this yet. It is available to watch for free on Voodoo Free and Tubi if you don't mind watching some ads. But, Mike, please hit people with a plot summary. What is Hologram for the King about?
0: So Hanks is on his way to Saudi Arabia because he works for this company called Raylan and he is in sales in the IT department and they are pitching a brand new 3D teleconferencing uh, system to the king of Saudi Arabia. Uh, they are building this entire new city and they are entertaining vendors as they are on their way to building this new this new place. So Hanks is over there, he's in Saudi Arabia over the course of a few days and it doesn't exactly go all according to plan. The king has not shown up. No one knows when he's going to be there. No one knows when they're going to give their presentation. They have untenable conditions that they are working in. They are given a tent for his team, and they're trying to set up the equipment. He's sort of given the runaround by everybody in charge, and he has a mysterious growth on his back. He goes to the hospital, gets it checked out, uh, starts sort of falling in love with this female doctor that works there. Over the course of the movie, he gets a biopsy, turns out to be precancerous. He has his lump removed. It is not a third arm like I had uh, my fingers crossed for, but he gets the conditions for his team to be a little bit better when he talks finally to someone in charge at the consulate. He gets drunk a couple nights. Against the law he goes to a party and parties out. In the end they give their presentation to the king, but the king passes because another company with the same technology is offering it much cheaper. Hanks actually ends up in a relationship with the woman doctor who treated his pre cancerous tumor and removed it he stays in Saudi Arabia working for this company that he was pitching his technology to helping them grow their new city and that's basically the end of the movie he stays there while uh, being pen pals with his daughter
1: back in the states and he is on to the rest of his life now Larson you had said before to us a couple days ago when we were planning and scheduling the time of this that you had a lot to say about it so I'd love to hear your initial thoughts whether you like the movie and if you had a favorite part of a for
2: the King. Yeah, well, I was a little skeptical at first because it it opens up, well, first it opens up with about 12 different studios that produce this film. And sometimes that's not the best sign. I noticed that one of them was Playtone Films, which is Hanks's. Yep, his shingle. I noticed it was a Saban film, which I believe are the people behind Power Rangers.
0: Yeah, well, Haim Saban is like a prolific guy in like Saturday morning television overall. He he, uh, did a lot of famous songs and shows. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, the story behind Power Rangers is that he got the rights to this Japanese action show and he realized that he could film uh, live action scenes with american actors on the super cheap and insert that into the stuff he already owned and it became the most profitable thing in the world partly because what he started with was such a shoddy product so yeah that didn't fill me with a lot of confidence and then there's this opening scene where tom hanks is walking around singing this is not my beautiful house etc And that's sort of the thing that, like, I felt like it thought it was a lot more clever than it was. And it just kind of came off as dumb to me. And I was like, oh, no. But the first three quarters of this movie, I love. It was sort of this Groundhog's Day Kafka esque, just sort of nightmare for him, where every day was the same, yet every day went horribly wrong in different ways. He had no idea what was going on half the time, or all the time, really, and people kept giving him answers and sending him places, and nothing was going anywhere. He kept finding himself in these bizarre situations. I really loved it, and I thought it was going somewhere a lot different than it was. And then for the last quarter of the movie, it just takes this total left turn and becomes a love story. You know, I don't mind a good love story in a movie, but it just seems like the movie reached its proper end point and then went off in this completely other direction that I just wasn't very interested in. And then it just ended.
1: So do you have a favorite part in that first three quarters? I would assume it's probably in the first three quarters. Is there something about this that really stood out to you as one of your favorite parts of this
2: movie? I would say the two things I like the most about the first three quarters of the movie were the repetition. It was sort of like every day there was a guy, very Groundhog Day. There was a guy in the lobby who said, you know, welcome to the Hyatt. Every day he woke up and he called his guide. Every day he took a shower. They did a very good job of sort of making that repetition very effective. And I think you guys will probably agree with me. His relationship and friendship with his guide, Yusa, who was fantastic in the movie. And I loved their relationship. And I love how they both kind of learned from each other. And that was really great.
1: Yeah. And Mike, what about you? My opinion of this movie changed the second time. So I kind of want to get your opinions first before I say anything. But what did you think of this movie? Did you like it? And do you have a favorite part? Is it something you know like what? Mars and Saturn is it something different. Right. So
0: it's Weird. Like initially, when I finished the movie, I did not like it. I it kind of was just like, man, this is like, I don't know. It just wasn't my cup of tea. But the more I sort of thought about it and sat with it, I'm like been warming up to it a lot more. After Larson sort of mentioned like all of his, all of those things about it being sort of Kafka esque, a lot of stuff sort of snapped into place a bit more. Uh, that wasn't really on my mind watching it, but that makes uh, a lot of sense to me. That that whole sort of it's almost like Murphy's Law. Like anything that could go wrong was going wrong for this guy. And I actually quite liked the relationship stuff I think it would have worked better and it would have been less abrupt at the end there or sort of like switched gears so so quickly if it was laced out throughout the movie a little bit more maybe as much as his relationship with Yusuf or something I don't love it I don't hate it it's just sort of like down the middle for me I think it's a very interesting idea with the 3D technology like I thought that was really clever I wish we got to see a lot more of that I wish there was sort of a hook to that in a different way that just became meaningless it's not really what the movie's about at all and that's totally fine I think that's fine and everything yeah it's just weird how when I finished it I was like oh, I just didn't like it you know I'll probably like give it an extra half a star or something like that but I just feel like it just didn't have that entertaining sort of edge at the time that other Hanks performances had for me either like I, I didn't really feel like he was doing much new much interesting I thought he could have played off the, uh, the back lump a little bit more maybe or but I, I just wish he had done something a little different with himself in this role to make it stand out for me I guess I was just a little I was I was surprised that I was disappointed by it and did you have a favorite part? Was there something in particular
1: that stood out for you?
0: Oh, yeah. So, you know, we mentioned the Talking Heads moment at the beginning of the movie, but it comes back later as a cartoon, and we get to see Toon Hanks, and I thought that was hilarious.
2: (laughs) That was great.
0: I wish we got somehow more of, like, him drunkenly hallucinating or whatever or like you know what I mean like maybe someone at the party dosed them one night or something like I just wish there was more of that surreal aspect going on for me it probably would have sold the concept a little better and it could have been a cool sort of uh, contrast between things that aren't there that he's seeing and then like these holograms that are there but they're not there kind of thing I just feel in my head this could have gone maybe a little bit bigger.
1: Not only do we get Toon Hanks we also get Young Hanks which has been a rarity recently we have got some kid who who kind of looks a little like Anton Yelchini, but I don't think he's done much. But when he's in the bathroom when he meets the nephew of the king, I was like, oh, we haven't really had a young version of like a Hanks or a Cruz, you know, the, the guys we've been doing recently in a while. Like we always used to get so excited about like, oh, there's young Cage, there's young Shia, whatever. But like, or old Shia, I guess, right? But like, we haven't had this in a while. Jennifer Lawrence played young Charlize
2: once,
0: yeah. right? Like that was that was like the term paper. I was like, holy shit.
2: <laughs> no, is it is it my imagination or is the actor playing young Hanks wearing some sort of facial prosthetics? to make him look more like Hanks. It kind of looked like he had an exaggerated nose and chin, and that really distracted me, but... I guess maybe I'm the only one. I don't
1: know. I mean, I don't know who that actor. I looked him up to see if he was like in things. Cause I feel like getting cast. This is not exactly a direct A to B, but like getting cast as young Tom Hanks kind of feels like, oh, like you're a good-looking guy. Who, like you know what I mean? Like it could be. And I don't recognize him from anything else. I mean, he's he's acted in like 30 things from what I remember. But like, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know him from other things, so I don't know if that's like just how he looks. Maybe they cast a guy who just looks like you know. I don't know.
2: Outside of Tom Hanks, everyone is a nobody, and not just because they're dealing with mostly foreign actors which which was nice to see you know it's always nice to see someone like the guy who plays Yusuf or the woman who plays the doctor being more than just a background role and that was great but Hanks was the only name in this movie oh except his dad was Tom Skerritt I believe
1: when I watched this movie for the first time I guess four years ago I remember the opening being kind of faked out by it because it makes it feel like the movie is going to be super stylized and cool and I don't want to say hip because I don't know if the talking heads are still I mean there are people you know obviously there's the the podcast now with Scott and Scott but like they're still around but I don't know that like a talking head song is like oh like we're a cool movie now but like the way that it's all like a music video and I was like oh and actually in retrospect like it kind of reminds me of the beginning of a movie that Larson we talked about with your wife about Vanilla Sky where it starts as like this Radiohead music video kind of right where everything in this right place and then it becomes a completely different movie. And I remember watching it the first time and being like, wait wait where did that go like why was that so stylized and now the rest of it were just like in the monotony of the day to day so this time I think partially knowing I didn't really love the movie the first time knowing that it's not super stylized the beginning feels even weirder to me because I still don't understand why that is the way it is but I think overall I like the movie more this time because I feel like also for the first time maybe the entire run of the podcast like I feel like having seen the different kinds of Hanks and the different kinds of roles he's played in the movies he's been in has kind of set me up to enjoy this more and maybe just recently because we've been stuck on this like he plays a historical figure and like it's it's a story that we know the ending of right like it's Walt Disney and Saving Mr. Banks it's Captain Phillips and Captain Phillips it's all these different movies where just like the next movie we're doing is Sully like we know how that ends right like it's we know it's like the safe thing and I feel like we're getting kind of a throwback to the time in a way of when Larson was on this podcast to talk about like Bachelor Party and The Money Pit like not the same kind of role but kind of like one man facing existential crisis, a man as a fish out of water, in over his head, out of his depth. It's kind of a throwback to a Hanks that, like, I didn't know I was missing until it came back. And I don't know that this movie is great. Like, I don't I don't love this movie still, but I liked it more. And I think specifically, like, finally, 51 episodes in, like, this podcast is kind of working for me to, to <laughs> like a movie more. It might be my favorite Hanks. Like, it's like the, he just is getting beaten down by the system. Like, he is just not only America's dad, but he's like, he's us, right? He's like America, or he's just, he's mankind, right? right? It worked for me in a way that I wasn't expecting. I was like, oh, I still don't love the movie, but I liked it more. And I was like, oh, okay, it's working. The system works.
2: Yeah, he's he's an everyman, you know? And I think that one of Hanks's greatest kind of roles that he plays is a very relatable guy. I mean, even when he's playing these sort of iconic roles, he brings that to them. He makes them more relatable. You see the humanity and the, the kind of common thread in these people the way that you wouldn't if some big action star was playing them or something like that he always brings that to his roles and it's funny you bring up he is us he is america It was something I wasn't really thinking about, but it really is kind of a metaphor for America. He's a guy who's kind of past his prime. He had his glory years. He kind of sold out to China in a big way. He's desperate to kind of prove himself again, and he's stuck in a present-day nightmare that seems never-ending.
0: These are all interesting points that are making me like the movie more as we're talking about it. I wonder if my issue is maybe it just came across for me as kind of bleak, like if it It was just funnier or had more of a dark comedic edge to it but from where I'm standing like there just didn't seem to be any humor really Yusuf is a tension breaker that's for sure except for when they like have to smuggle Hanks through Mecca which is a very kind of awkward sequence but I feel like maybe a little bit of that sugar would have helped the
1: medicine go down for me so the one thing that I want to say here Mike and I don't know how this is going to shape the future of this podcast but this movie is based on a book by Dave Eggers the next book Dave Eggers would write is The Circle which is recovering a handful of... So, like, this is now two direct... Dave Eggers novels in a row that have become adaptations that Tom Hanks kind of stars. Like, he's not the star of the circle. He's kind of like a supporting actor, from what I remember. Like, it's an Emma Watson movie, and Tom Hanks is kind of like her mentor, in a way. So he's not, like, the star. Like, he's obviously the star here. But then Dave Eggers goes on to write, Your fathers, where are they, and the prophets, do they live forever? And I think that's, like, a biblical verse. And, like, this book is crazy. Like, it's an insane, like, it's a guy, like, on the verge of total mental collapse, and it's a masterfully written book, and I love this book. And so he writes hologram for the king which my friend read and did not like and the movie is whatever then he writes the circle which is a book that i hate and a movie that i almost hate even more and then he writes this other novel your fathers where are they and like i love that so i don't understand how he could widely vary that much but tom hanks loved this book like championed this book in 2012 when it came out and then i guess either it maybe helped get it made or brought it attention or was like when he heard that he wanted to get involved there's not a lot of trivia about this movie like again kind of flies under the radar but then to see him then again show up in a Dave Eggers novel adaptation. It's just like, there's something going on here. And then he brings back Tom Tickfer, or like, he's at least, you know, maybe doesn't bring him back, but like, he's involved once again from Cloud Atlas. So this feels kind of like a nexus of like recent Hanks in a way, where it's like the Dave Eggers connection somehow, the Tom Tickfer connection somehow, now it's the VOD era. Like, there's a lot of things that like, you might be able to draw comparisons to, but maybe not. And I don't know, like, it feels in a weird way, like a nexus of things that are like entirely disconnected.
0: Yeah, it almost feels like what Cruz ended up doing with like Doug Liman and Christopher McQuarrie, right, where he's like, I'm going to take my director here, my writer here, or whatever, and like, I'm just going to try and do projects with people I felt successful with, or I had a good vibe with, or a run with, or something like that, but that's very interesting, all those sort of hanks nections laced throughout.
1: Yeah, like, I don't know if there, I don't know if there's a narrative to be told with those hanks sections but there's a lot going on here that relate to something, right?
2: Well, I, I think that it says a lot about sort of the, the filmmaking environment right now, in the way the internet changed the, the music business. We're, we're living in a world where it's a lot easier to go out and do what you want to do without going through the channels that you might have had to in the past, going through major studios and and finding producers and things like that. If you have the money, like Hank's, or if you can get 12 independent film studios to help make your movie you can make your movie and you can do it the way you want and someone like hanks who has the clout can be like you know what i love dave eggers i want to promote his books by making movies out of them i love this german director i want to work with him again yeah people can do that now i mean of course it helps if you're tom hanks but the environment is is so much different
1: I mean I think it's easier than ever to make a movie that looks great right and it's also harder than ever to actually get it seen like it feels like in back in the day you make a movie it's like oh no like it just goes to a theater like that's just what happens cuz there's no other distribution like if your movie is budgeted and greenlit aside from you know whatever maybe like kind of other you know second run theaters or whatever like you make a movie like especially with like a guy like Tom Hanks it's like oh I know where that's winding up and now here it's like there's a movie star Tom Hanks and you guys both you know all three of us watch more movies than like way like almost anybody, anybody else, right? And <laughs> only one of us had seen the movie. Setting aside, you know, Nicolas Cage, who makes up to nine movies a year that are all VOD, and it's just like, well, yeah, we can't always keep up with that. But like, Tom Hanks, maybe the biggest movie star of our generation, makes a movie that is like not appointment television. It's just, it's a weird environment. Like, not a bad environment, but it's a weird environment to be in. Like, I think this could have come out in
0: theaters. I still don't know if I'd have gone to see it in theaters, to be quite honest. Like, at the time and now, this just isn't the sort of thing that, like, grabs me for. Because, like you mentioned, Joey, like he's such in the middle of this historical, real life you know, I'm portraying a real person in a real part of history kind of thing, like whether it be the past, the present or whatever, like I think I'm stuck there too. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe I'm, that's why I'm sort of having like the reverse effect you were having where you're like, wow, he's doing this all the time and it's good to see him not do it. I'm sort of like, wait, I'm like missing a step. Like, why isn't he doing this? Like this should have come out after Sully or something. But I also think like this could have run in theaters, like just because I, I would have seen the trailer and said I'd wait for video or something like at the, at the time. Uh, Cause like I did with, the circle I still haven't seen the circle I don't know why this all the inner politics or whatever that were the cause of it. It's just, it is strange that this didn't go to theaters.
1: And I wonder, I mean, I'm going to have to look up when we get to The Circle in a couple episodes. Like, I don't remember if that was in theaters. My recollection is that it is because I don't think you make a movie like, I don't think an Emma Watson, Tom Hanks movie. And I think also maybe John Boyega too. Patton to Oswalt's
0: in there. And then yeah. it was also the first role the kid from Boyhood did after Boyhood. And I remember seeing trailers like crazy that year because I mentioned on previous episodes I was making up a
1: whole different movie inside my
0: head that I knew it wasn't Going to deliver,
1: and I think I think my confusion comes from the fact that like that's well into the movie pass era where I was basically seeing everything in theaters, but I remember seeing that at home, and I don't. I guess I must have just been like put off by reviews or whatever, right? Like oh, this looks like a nightmare. All right, now on the flip side of the coin, I think we're all kind of in agreement that this is like a messy movie that it doesn't quite know what it is. Almost at any point, right? Like it's just kind of like oh, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. But Larson, something in particular, a moment or a scene or a, a decision or something that is your least favorite part, something you really don't like about this movie.
2: Yeah, well, like I said, I was not a fan of that Talking Heads intro just because it struck me as something that they thought was super, super clever and came off as lame to me. That's a matter of taste, I guess. But, you know, as I was saying before, the love story at the end, it doesn't really feel earned. It's a completely different tone than the rest of the movie. It just seems like the movie had reached its conclusion and then went off in this direction. It just kind of seemed like an excuse to get an underwater kissing scene but you know you you brought up a lot of reviews as well as the three of us have said that this movie's kind of a mess it it, it's all over the place it doesn't quite know what it is and I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact that it's a book adaptation there's we we actually talked about this with Birdie there's a relationship in Birdie that feels rushed and that's Probably because in a book, you can take your time with this sort of stuff. In a book, you can get into more of the details that may have may have seemed a little out of nowhere in the film. And plus Dave Eggers, I don't know a lot about him, but I know that he writes very uh, unique. Books that defy adaptation, so that a lot of these complaints might have had something to do with that. But yeah, the last quarter of the film—it's no secret—I am—I am not a fan.
1: Yeah, Mike, what about you? Is there something about this uh in particular that you did not like?
2: Right. So I, I
0: actually—I agree with Larson. Like, I didn't mind how I minded in the last episode of Bridge of Spies, Bridge of Pies, when it like doesn't end on the bridge and they go home and follow hang I'm like, well, he's Peter Jacksoning it. It's like we we should have had ended. And like I. I understand how Larson can feel that with this film, but I guess the reason I didn't feel that way so much is because I actually quite like this sort of short movie we get of the aftermath, but I do agree that it does not fit very well into the overall structure of the movie. It should have been laced throughout. Maybe the stuff with the woman from the consulate could have been translated to the woman from the hospital in a couple sequences. I think for me the the thing I I wish there was maybe more of or or he touched more of is um the stuff with his wife and daughter. Like they they almost feel like lost keys in a script like this thing that like he can't quite remember where he put them or what to do with them and they try hard with like the pen pal stuff and the writing and the voiceover but for me it just sort of becomes unbearable is definitely not the word but like maybe overbearing at some points where it's just like "I i don't know why this isn't really working for me he has a great relationship with his daughter his wife is trying to turn her against him they don't go deep into a lot of that stuff in the way that maybe it should have for, for it to work better for me in particular. So I don't know. It just, I came away thinking about that overall being like, you know, like I wish that was either a little more or not at all, basically. Um, and, and, and again, and you know, this movie is sort of uh, schizo, a little schizo, but that's like kind of, it's going for that.
1: So I don't know that, that to me was just something that really stuck out and i don't want to like overly defend it because again i don't love it but i feel like if you look at this movie as a the story of a man whose like life is not what he thought and sort of like there's also the other thread that he had outsourced his company to china and like was sort of the purpose or the victim or whatever of like or the cause for like 500 people losing their jobs like there's that whole storyline that's not exactly touched on a whole lot like that's kind of like background information i feel like maybe you could do something with that more i don't know i think if you look at this as a story of a man whose life did not go the way that he intended that he had the beautiful house he had the beautiful wife whatever if you want to actually try to ascribe meaning to that talking head scene like he had everything he had the company he had the success and then like everything fell apart in a way if trying to tie it to obviously this had no idea of like the pandemic but like people who had plans in whatever regard and now those are all out the window right because like you can sort of plan you can sort of have an idea of what you want to do or how you want to do it or whatever and then all of a sudden something happens and it throws a monkey wrench in the system and you're kind of just tumbling and so i don't think he ever thought that he was going to be like in saudi arabia or wherever like trying to sell a hologram system to a king he doesn't know and he only barely knows the nephew he only met the nephew once doesn't even know you know what i mean like like It kind of makes sense in that way that he falls in love over there because like why not like it's just like a weird thing that life does but i don't know if that makes a compelling movie but i can kind of understand that as like a storytelling or or is that or is that is that wild over justification
0: i don't think so i think you know you can read into this any way you want and things are in here because they're supposed to be right i just feel like they're not really fleshed out appropriately to give the meaning they're
1: supposed to all the time
0: right and maybe that's why it feels like it's overbearing to me is like i maybe need Less if you're not gonna explain more.
1: For a ninety-five minute movie, there's a lot going on. But there's also kind of not a lot going on. There's not a lot of story, but there's a lot of storylines. So That can be kind of hard to find something to, to hold on to, right?
0: Like I think I think of that a lot. Like it's good that when we do podcast it's like for a particular person because then i can sort of flip into all right i'm watching this for hanks mode but i explained sort of my problems with that earlier in, in the show so
2: yeah mike mike you brought up the consulate scene there's a point where he meets this uh danish diplomat and she has a brief affair with him she invites him to this wild Coke fueled rave at the Danish embassy. That scene really stuck out for me because it kind of, and Mike, you also brought up sort of the hallucinatory aspects of like when he drinks too much in his room. But I think there are these hallucinatory moments that happen throughout his week in Saudi Arabia. Like when he he's lost in the condo building and he comes across the Filipino workers having like a fight club. That's a very surreal moment that it, And these moments kind of add to the the feeling of confusion and what the hell is going to happen to him next. But when he goes to this rave, and it reminded me a lot of a movie that, Mike, you talked about with Brian Rodriguez recently, Society. Um, Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, it's just just this decadent people making out, doing drugs, dancing, drinking. And, you know, Hanks gets dragged into the coat room by this Danish ambassador. There is this whole plot line that really, I don't know what it's supposed to represent. Again, it's probably something that was gone into a lot more in the book, and it probably would have simplified things if it didn't exist. But that scene of him going to the embassy was the last person in the world that I'd expect to see going to a party like this is Tom Hanks or or any Tom Hanks character. There's one point where he's dancing on the dance floor and it's just the most awkward thing to see america's dad trying to get down at this at this wild dance party yeah
0: we've come a long way since
1: the titular bachelor party yes there's one scene in particular it's a minor moment i think i mean i guess it's contributive to the greater whole but my least favorite moment might be after he lances or partially lances the mole or the hump or the blister or whatever you want to call it on the back
2: it's a, it's a cyst
1: the cyst after he kind of does that and like it cuts to black which i think is fascinating and then he wakes up he's like in a pool of blood kind of and like that's kind of a cool visual but then him seeing it and then just vomiting like the drunken night before onto the bed i was like oh i don't need to see that like that's gross i feel like that's kind of out of the bachelor party it's not out of like a hologram for the king like it feels again like a weird what's the tone like what tone are you trying to strike here
0: yeah yeah you know and when it worked best for me was when it felt i guess more like sinister we were mentioning like the danish woman who worked for the saudi guy and everything and like she was trying to seduce hanks and stuff and then the next day she's like not there at work and i was like oh shit she get arrested or something what's going on because hanks is getting like smuggled alcohol and it's illegal in the country i liked it more when it was like hanks thinks he's in danger but he's clearly not sort of situation so like it is a very weird tone you're right joey like it's sort of a whiplash tonally type of movie
1: just strange like, again like I don't think it's bad I just think that there's too much happening in, again in a movie where not a lot happens there's too much happening and I don't know why a lot of the things like I don't know how the threads like how they're planning or trying to connect the threads I think that's the bigger issue like it's just life in this other country and maybe if you're more familiar you'd like it more I don't know I don't know I really don't know
2: I, I just feel like if it stuck to the story of Hanks going through every day all he wants to do is do his presentation, and every day something horrible goes wrong, something Kafkaesque and Orwellian goes wrong, and he's just kind of struggling through that, and that's sort of a metaphor for his life. All he wants to do is be successful and be a good father, and and he feels like he's totally capable of that, but things just keep getting in the way, And and I think if they had stuck with that, it would have been a much much more enjoyable film.
1: Any other thoughts about A Hologram for the King? I feel like we have covered this movie. Is this, Mike, do you think this is his smallest movie? And not in a bad way, just like in a, like, it's got to be in a while, right? Like, maybe since like Mazes and Monsters or something, right? Like, there's, (laughs) it's funny,
0: like, I I watched this and I, I actually, Think of that thing you do, which became an incredibly huge success, but right. ultimately it's like it's an independent film, right? Like it's a playtone movie. Like that's how it kind of comes across to me. But this definitely not just in production, but in scope and theme and all that kind of stuff right like we're like I feel like we've been dealing with one big issue for the most part in a lot of his movies recently and now we're trying to get into like a lot of nitty-gritty stuff and and things like that at least that was interesting about it I guess was that it's like a it's like the opposite of what all of his mainstream quote-unquote stuff in the actual theaters is going on right now and so if you like want alternative Hanks like you can get them at home on demand so
1: like I wonder what the and I mean I'm sure I could probably find it online I didn't look for it too closely but I wonder how how this happens like how whether it's oh they're adapting the Dave Eggers novel or whether it's Tom Tickford gets the sign you know what i mean like i wonder what the order is cuz again trying to figure out the hanks of it all like the connections that we were weaving like i just don't know how this gets like not in not in the, the snarky podcast sense of it but like how does this get made like what is the actual process like how does tom hanks become involved in a thing like this
0: yeah because we we were talking about on cloud atlas how like on the set of ViFA vendetta natalie portman gives the wachowskis the book cloud atlas so like were they on the set of cloud atlas and hanks is reading this and gives it you know what i'm saying gives right. it over to someone else and it's like okay let's like keep this in mind and it's like picks it up one day and he's like oh hanks gave me this like Let's get in touch or something.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. The only other note, and I feel like this is, again, a very, not nitpicky, but a very minor thing that, Larson, you mentioned before the underwater kissing scene. There is a snorkeling scene that somebody says on IMDb is like a throwback, a reference to him finding love at sea in Splash. And his character name in both movies is Alan. So, oh interesting i guess i don't know i don't know that that's intentional i'm sure it's from the novel but what if the novel hologram for the king is a, like a fanfic about splash that's not true but that would be wild <laughs> okay so now very important question and i honestly don't know the answer because i've not thought about it yet could tom cruise play the role of alan in a hologram for the king if we had swapped out tom hanks or tom cruise could tom cruise play this role or if not is there somewhere else in the movie that he could fit pretty well Larson, what do you think?
2: I don't think he would. I don't think he would want to play this character. He he seems kind of uh, obsessed with playing very vital and very action-oriented people to sort of play down the fact that he's getting older as an actor. But I would have loved to see him play a role like this. Uh, it would be totally against type for him to play this sort of beleaguered everyman. I can't really think of many. I mean, you guys would know better than me, but I can't. I can't think of many Tom Cruise roles where he is an everyman.
0: I think of, like, Jerry Maguire. Like, if Jerry Maguire was plucked up and put into this movie, like, it might fit perfectly. That
1: one movie 30 years ago.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, even then, he's a sports agent, you know? That's kind of a glamorous profession. But for him to be this sort of middle-aged failure, you know, it would give him a chance to sort of exercise a whole different set of chops. And I think he'd make great work of this role. I
1: guess that's a good way to say he could, but I don't know that he would.
2: No, he absolutely would not.
0: They didn't build any of the buildings yet for him to climb up or
2: anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you could have, I could see him base jump off of one of those unfinished condo buildings, but that's about it.
1: Oh, speaking of that, I was actually thinking about how they could build the hologram for him to actually scale, like, just to show, like, what the building looks like with somebody climbing it. But apparently, I think the guy who's, like, in the hologram, I guess his, his man back in HQ or something, I think, I think, that's Ben Wishaw, who was in Cloud Atlas. Like, I think he's Oh, I yeah, think, I thought right? he looked familiar. Oh,
2: yeah. that makes sense. It's
1: another Tom Tick for Tom Hanks connection.
0: I think uh, Cruise would be good in this role, actually, because one thing that kind of wasn't working for me was how calm Hanks was coming across in certain situations, even though he wasn't. Like, I would like this character to be more frazzled and lose it a little more day by day. And I think Cruise losing would it. do it. Exactly. Yeah. Losing it.
2: <laughs>
0: so I think Cruise is good at that, right? Like, gradually sort of finding out that, like, Things are snowballing, and he can't deal with it, and the pressure's mounting and building. And seeing that on his face, I think would be a lot of fun, and maybe keep me more
1: engaged than Hanks, who was just kind of like stone faced a lot throughout most of this. And like weirdly, like I would normally agree, but I think that's like what I liked about not the stone facedness, but just like the Tom, what what Tom Hanks specifically brings to this. Like I think what I said earlier, kind of summing up Larson, that like he could, I don't know that he would, I don't know that I want him to. Like I think this is like I don't think Tom Cruise ever would do a movie like this, like even like I don't even know that he would watch a movie like this. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, 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 Does he even watch movies? I don't
0: even... I don't know. Like, part of me thinks he, like, never watches other people's work because he's so busy making his own. And then another part of me is, like, he's probably just, like, secretly a cinephile. That's all he does when he can.
1: I could see him, like, going up to somebody on set and being like, oh, my God, I loved you in that one scene, like, 41 minutes in. Like, just, like, the perfect, like, you know, photographic, identical memory. Yeah, like, you were a
0: gaffer on this movie six years ago. You were amazing. Yeah,
2: you know, know, Mike, you bringing up the fact that Hanks is very soft spoken in this movie reminded me that there are no, you don't get that high pitched Hank for lack of a better word, Hank's freak out that, point where he comes to the end of his rope and his voice enters a whole different register which we've seen in many many hanks movies but he's pretty much at an even keel throughout the whole film
1: now does tom hanks so larson since you were last on we have changed the question when you were on last in in the 80s you know when we were doing the podcast in the 1980s and you were on uh we were asking is tom hanks on the way to becoming america's dad a long time ago like probably around the turn of the century the new millennium we're like oh no tom hanks is firmly america's dad like he is basically done like an entire career like at least a decades worth of movies where like there's no question he's America's dad. So now we're asking is he still America's dad or does he do anything in this movie to sort of set him off the path? And I feel like, you know, he he's being a good father to his daughter, and I feel like he's kind of being a father figure as a boss to his employees, and I feel like he's Putting the work in, I think he is America's dad, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think more so in this movie than in a lot of other Latter-day Hanks movies, just because he is literally a father and a father figure to his team. But he also, like I said before, represents America. So he, I think, is absolutely 100% America's dad in this movie. And not so much in the way that he may be in other movies where he is the, the confident, caring, responsible guy. It's that he is a lot like us and a lot like America where he is confused and uncertain.
1: America's sad dad? His
2: sad dad, yes.
0: All right. I like that. Mike, do you agree? Uh, yeah, you know, for for all the trouble I sort of had with his family relationship story, the way it was portrayed in the film, like, I still think it, it came across, you know, like, it was mentioned that he had a daughter and she was, I I, I like that at least she was on his side, you know, like, that kind of thing that makes me feel like he was a good dad to her uh, in the past in their in their life and stuff and so, yeah, and he's, you know, he, he's doing what he has to do, right, for, his, for what's left of his family and for trying to salvage those relationships and everything and he's not doing anything intentionally malevolent throughout any of this right like he's he's doing it all
1: because he just wants to provide and so i think that comes across very well now the tom hanks awards the woodies the final thing we have to do on this episode i don't know that we're gonna have a lot we can go through it quickly best film worst film best of the worst most fun bad film again i don't think it's any of those i think he's had a lot of great movies He's had a lot of really bad movies i think this is almost firmly like directly in the middle
0: yeah like even though i didn't exactly love it like i don't think it comes across as a bad movie right, right. like i think I've, i think hanks has made worse films that i've actually liked
2: <laughs> yeah. so
0: yeah no it does not deserve really a nomination
2: yeah no i mean it, it definitely had parts of a really great movie in it there were scenes and performances and relationships in it that i thought were fantastic but overall it it is less than the sum of its parts uh, maybe <laughs> i don't know if that makes sense but yeah it's 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 not good enough to be a great movie, and I feel like it could have been.
1: Now, best role, worst role, most wasted Hanks performance. I feel like of the three, the third is probably the closest. But again, I think it like it serves the movie. The movie's just messy. I don't think it. I don't think it's any of these things either. Do you? No, I think I agree with that. And best ensemble, or I'll jump to the end. Like best non-Hanks actor, male or female. I think the parts are okay, but nothing really stands out. Like when you think of this movie, like what's the first thing you? Th- I guess you probably just you only think of Hanks, maybe right? And like maybe the weird intro. I
2: I think of Yusuf. I think of his relationship okay. and his his friendship with. Yusuf I think what could have been sort of a throwaway comic relief part they really kind of flesh that out more when he goes with him for the weekend to his family's home in the hills and they and they talk about politics and they talk about war and the you know family and all that stuff I like that a lot and, and I think that the actor playing him was fantastic very charismatic very very good.
1: Now, is he good enough? Should we nominate him for best non Hanks actor male, or is that too strong? I mean, like, keeping in mind that he's going to go up against, like, Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear, like, does he stand out <laughs> among the best of those?
2: I mean, I don't think he stands a chance. I I, I loved him, <laughs> but I'd love to see more from him. Now that we're seeing, you know, actors from different countries and of different backgrounds in larger roles, I really hope that uh, mainstream audiences get to see more from this guy. But no, I don't think he stands a chance.
1: Well, okay. Best fight, best dance. Do we want to nominate best dance scene as Hank's trying to get down or whatever whatever <laughs> your, your phrasing was before? Is this one of Tom Hanks' best dancing scenes? I mean, it's like one of his only. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling about it. Like, we never... Right now, we have a top of floating suitcases in Joe vs. the Volcano, doing the mashed potato in Bachelor Party, the operatic dance with the Ivy in Philadelphia, playing the piano in Big, and singing in the rain in Punchline, which I don't even remember a couple of those. Oh, but... God, I don't even remember Punchline as a movie. That's the uh, Sally Field, right? Where she's a comedian?
2: Yes, yes. You uh, you did that episode with uh, Jordan.
1: Boy, you have a better better memory than I do about that one, but yes. I'm, so... I'm a
2: big fan of the podcast. What can I say? <laughs> Bigger than you guys, I guess.
1: Well, thank you so much. Should we nominate that for Best Dance? Him, you know, dancing at a consulate party? The Hanks Tusi? <laughs> I,
2: I feel like you guys probably haven't had a lot of nominees in this category for a while. Not since Joe vs. the Volcano, I guess, but again, I don't think it stands a chance against any of the ones you mentioned
1: but why not? I'll put it in there for now. I mean, like playing the piano in big is going to win, right? Like, there's no way that that doesn't. I mean, I guess a top of floating suitcases could put up a fight, but I think the iconic dance scene is him on the piano. So I don't know, but it's in there for now. Whenever we did Ithaca, Mike and I were just like, yeah, I don't, there's no awards. Like we, there's no awards. Like it's not a bad movie. It's just like, a, there's nothing. So I feel like we need to throw something this way. Not, it can't have two episodes in a row with nothing, but <laughs> again, it might get cut, but I, I'm okay putting it for best dance scene best party scene? No, I don't think we could do dance and party. I don't think it's like that good for both. Best Hank's outfit wardrobe? Anything he wears in this in particular of a particular note? No, not exactly, right? Like, you know, in a hospital gown,
2: like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. He wears a lot of suits and and then there's one day where he wears his casual tan suit. <laughs> but Ooh. Yeah. He
0: had to wear, he had to, did he have to put on something when they drove through Mecca? But again, it wasn't like he
1: spent time dressed differently.
2: No, they just gave him a head wrap.
1: Best death, he does not die. Best line or freak out, is there anything he says of, I can't, if you offered me a thousand dollars right now to to give me a line from this movie, like definitively, that's like unique to this movie, that's not a talking heads line, I couldn't do it. And I watched this movie like three days ago. Like I don't remember a single thing he says.
0: I would wager money that at one point in the movie he says, is the king arrived
1: yet? But like that's, Probably the only thing I can. Remember. I have
2: a hologram for the king.
1: Best music again. Talking Heads. Not that that's a good thing, but I don't think otherwise. No. Okay. So this is interesting. Now, best or worst? Hank's love story. Do we want to nominate him and the Doctor? Like, it's. I think it's a fine love story. In an otherwise, like, it's a weird implementation of an okay love story. But I don't think that should nominate for best or worst. It's just again, kind of in the middle. I think it had potential to be one of the better ones, you know. But the it just the way that it's sort of in
0: the movie, the way that contrast with everything else he's going through it just is super rushed or just you know it, it just feels like they're struck by Cupid's arrow and I just can't buy I didn't buy that
1: you know honestly the more interesting story to tell here might be from the doctor's perspective that she's like going through this divorce and kind of you know hopeless in a country where she can't really openly show affection or whatever like whatever Yusuf is warning him like you can't do this you like might get her killed and we kind of don't know about her but then seeing like this handsome American come in and like Tom Hanks like kind of charming her I think that's a more interesting story than him running up you know the Sisyphean task of running up the hill or whatever right but like I don't that might be a better love story but in from this perspective it's just like, oh, this is just another thing that happens to him.
2: After I watch this, I always go to IMDb to look up trivia and whatnot, but I wanted to read some of the user reviews because I didn't really know what to think about it. And I wanted to see what other people thought. And there were a bunch of reviews from people who actually were from Saudi Arabia. Okay. Giving it terrible reviews. And I thought maybe at first it was one of those things where, you know, somebody in Saudi Arabia was like, go to IMDb and give this movie one star because it's a it's a terrible portrayal of our country. But a lot of the reviews had two things to say. One of them was female doctors are fairly common in Saudi Arabia. And they made a big deal about her being a female doctor. And they said Saudi Arabia is actually pretty progressive as far as that's concerned. And they also said that this relationship would never, ever happen because she would get murdered. Yeah. It would be found out, she would be killed. And it's it's uh, it's funny that the argument was both that Saudi Arabia was more progressive than it was portrayed and that the woman would be killed immediately for uh, straying from her husband.
1: That's that's the kind of insight that you can always rely on in IMDb, just like, that woman would have died So I think in the end, we have one nomination for Best Dance Scene. So shout out to (laughs) Hologram for the King for getting the job done. All right.
2: I don't know how to make a GIF, but I really kind of want to make a GIF of uh, Tom Hanks dancing at that Danish embassy.
1: Well, Mike, next week, next episode, we have the aforementioned Sully, where he plays Captain C.B. Sullenberger. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it as much. Well, actually, so I watched it the, I watched it in theaters. Have you seen Sully before, Mike, or no? So I watched it once before, and this will be the second time ever. Cool. I mean, I liked it in theaters. I was just going to say, like, my, my negative was more of a joke, was that I like uh, the Paul F. Tompkins character of Sully more than I think I like this movie but again for what I thought might be like kind of a heavy handed movie I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing Sully again and Upside like this movie it's short uh, not streamable for free anywhere but you can rent it for a couple bucks and just if you're watching along Sully coming next week on Hanks' Memories but Larson thank you so much this is a series wrap for you on the Tom Club we've only got like another handful of movies but thank you for joining us for this episode and for all the Tom episodes that you've done so far
2: yeah I mean I, I always love chatting with you guys and whatever you guys decide decide to do next, give me a call. Well,
1: thank you so much for being here. But for all things, Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week for Sully, Captain C.B. Sullenberger. Check out all 51, I think, episodes of the show at cageclub.me and check out all like 1,700 episodes of the podcast, including the previously mentioned 11 episodes of the Elusive Monkey Club at cageclub.me wherever you find podcasts. I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike Manzi and that was Christian Larson. We'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories.
2: And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack and you may find yourself a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, let the water hold me down, letting the days go by, water flowing underground, into
0: the blue again, after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing under Got... You stuck in Jeddah?